Welcome again. It's good to see you back this afternoon. I know that probably got some folks that are traveling. We pray for their safety and hope and pray that they will return back home again very soon. If you're traveling this week, we encourage you to be careful and exercise care and caution on the road so that we might get you back home safely again once again. I do want to say thank you to those of you that have come back this afternoon. We're very grateful for the opportunity to be together. And it is summertime in this particular part of the world. And if you didn't know that, then you probably don't have a pulse. But it is hot. I had a friend of mine used to say that his mama said it's just sultry. And I guess that's a good way to characterize it. We are looking in our study this afternoon at Job 14, verse 1. Really, we're using that verse as a springboard to talk about the question, why does God allow human suffering? There have been a lot of folks down through the years that have asked that question. And they have wanted to know in their heart of hearts, why would God allow people to suffer? And I want to say right up front, that's a fair question. I don't think that there is anything wrong with asking the question, why do we live on a planet that is plagued with pain and suffering? And why is it that God in heaven would allow the crown of His creation, that would be us, to suffer in this life? In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul talks about the sufferings of this present world. That was some 2,000 years ago. The world today is filled with suffering just as it was in the first century. So what we want to do is ask this question and look at what the Bible has to say. And why is it that God in heaven would allow those of us who live here on planet earth to suffer and sometimes to suffer immensely? First thing that I want to do is call your attention to what I believe to be the problem of human suffering. Down through the years, there have been a lot of folks that have asked that question, as I said a moment ago. There are those that, in a very militant way, will say that they do not believe in God. One of the reasons that they do not believe in God is because they have difficulty reconciling in their mind why God would allow those of us who live here to suffer. And so they buttress their arguments against the existence of God with pain and suffering. There was a man by the name of Epicurus, a Grecian philosopher. He lived about two to three centuries before the time of Christ. This particular philosopher set forth the proposition that if God is all good, he would not allow human suffering. And if he were all-powerful, he would eradicate it. And so his conclusion was, since there is human suffering, God is not all-powerful. Neither is he all-good. Well, there's a failure to understand something about the Creator. I would suggest that God is all-good, and not only is He all-good, but He is all-powerful. So then what about this question? Why would God in heaven allow us to suffer in this life? Again, a fair question. 
I want to go back to the Garden of Eden for a minute. You remember, you remember in Genesis chapter 1, Moses begins by affirming the fact that in the beginning, God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. Then in verse 26, it was said of God that He created man in His own image and in His own likeness. God placed man in the Garden of Eden, what we might call a utopian environment, a place of paradise. Every need met in that garden. God had created not just man, but also God was the one who created the woman. You remember the record says that God caused a deepened sleep to come upon Adam because it was God who had said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helpmeet, that is, a suitable answer for man's needs. So while in that deepened sleep, God extracted a rib. From that rib he made the woman and brought her to the man, that is to Adam. Adam responded by saying, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they will be one flesh. But in Genesis chapter 2, the record not only indicates that God created man and woman, but God set forth a prohibition. God said to the first couple, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. God did not create us as robots, but rather God in His infinite wisdom, goodness and mercy, created us and allowed us human volition. In other words, God created us as beings of choice. Since God allows us to make choices in life, I think it's incumbent that we understand that with choices come responsibility and accountability. So you go back again and look at Genesis chapter 2. God said they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the text says that the Lord told them explicitly, simplistically, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. The record says in chapter 3 that the serpent came on the scene and beguiled or deceived Mother Eve. Not only was Eve taken in transgression, but also Adam succumbed. So what was the penalty? God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Well, man began to die physically, yes. But more importantly, man died spiritually speaking. Now, think about this for a moment. Before God created the human family, before He ever laid the foundation of the world, God recognized in His infinite wisdom that giving man the ability to make choices in life, that at some time in the history of man, Man would make the wrong choice, thereby bringing sin and suffering into the world and would stand in need of a Redeemer, a Savior. So in Genesis chapter 3, we have a record of the fall of man. Paul would write in Romans chapter 5 at verse 12, Therefore through one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So in that context, 
Paul affirming the fact that death was a result of sin in the Garden of Eden. But you remember in verse 15, when man sinned, what was it God did? Immediately he began unveiling his redemptive plan. Now John said in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 that Jesus was, is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Peter would say he was foreordained before the world began. So God had a plan in place to redeem the crown of His creation. Says something, number one, about His goodness. God is love, isn't He? Didn't John say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is the very essence of love? Not only is God a being of love, but also of mercy and grace. Paul said in Ephesians 2 at verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy, for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive together with Christ. So God began unveiling that redemptive plan. And you think about the power to bring that redemptive plan to fruition. You remember in Galatians 4 at verse 4, it was Paul who said, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem them that are under, under the law. In John 17, verse 4, in the shadow of the cross, Jesus said, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So God had a plan to redeem us, that plan in place before the creation of the world. So what then about pain and suffering? If you want to know the origination of pain and human suffering, yes, and that would also include death, you have to go back to the Garden of Eden. When man violated God's divine law in the garden, that literally opened the floodgate for pain, human suffering, disease, and death. God is a being who loves His creation. The redemptive plan says something about His interest in us as the crown of His creation. As a parent, you're interested in the well-being of your children, aren't you? You try to meet their every need. The Bible tells us about the God that we serve that the very hairs of our head are all numbered. It is God in heaven who said that we're to cast all of our cares on Him, the reason being because He cares for us. So God has demonstrated His intrinsic interest in us, but not only is He interested in us, but He has demonstrated that interest by investing in our well-being. You remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8? When he said, God who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. That again says something about the God that we serve. So we live in a, in a world that is filled with pain and heartache, trial, tribulation, temptation, and even death. If you want to know why, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now there are some who want to hold God responsible for pain and suffering. God is not the one that authored pain and suffering. 
If you want to hold someone responsible for pain as we know it today, then you need to look at the devil. He is the reason why all of this is problematic to those of us who live in the world today. Pain, suffering, heartache, trial, temptation, death, it all goes back to the same source. Do you remember what James said in James 1? Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. The devil is responsible for all of the problems that we deal with in the world today. Now there's a second thing I want to share with you. Let's talk for a moment or two about the probability of human suffering. And look again at Job chapter 14 verse 1. Job said, man born of woman is of few days, and then he makes this statement, and full of trouble. Job simply telling us as members of the human family that we live in a world filled with pain and trouble. Now we ought not miss the fact that he indicates life is brief, the brevity of life. We might live to be 70 or 80 years of age, but as Moses said, it's soon cut off and we fly away. But our tenure on earth is marked by pain and suffering. You think Job was qualified to talk about suffering, to write about it? Job was a good man, wasn't he? The Bible says he was upright, feared God, turned away from evil. The Bible also tells us that this good man lost ten children. Imagine if you can looking out over the horizon one evening. And as you look over the horizon, you see ten freshly marked graves. Job buried ten children. And then not only that, but he lost a great deal of his wealth. Add to that that chapter 2 tells us he also lost his health, his body afflicted with boils, the pain that he experienced. You remember the record says his own wife encouraged him to curse God and die. What a pitiful sight he must have been. So here's a man that was well qualified to talk about human suffering. As we think about the probability of suffering on planet earth, I want to just submit to you that based upon where I stand, and I suspect where you stand, we have to come to appreciate the fact that there are no exclusions, regardless of age, gender, race, economic standing, educational background. The fact of the matter is, all suffer. All do suffer. And I would go on to say, all will suffer. Do you know anybody right now, can you think of anybody in your mind that has skated through life without any type of adversity, trial, or trouble? I'm not talking about an infant. 
but rather I'm thinking about people as they begin to grow and mature in life. Well, why is that? Why is it that people today experience pain and suffering? Because the world that we live in is filled with pain and suffering, and the probability of facing it is incredibly great. When you begin sifting through the Scriptures, one of the things that stands out is some of God's greatest and noblest servants in days gone by suffered immensely. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. I mean, just make your way forward throughout both the Old and New Testaments. Sometimes we have the idea that because these people were spiritual giants, that they were not susceptible to the same problems and hurts that we are today. That's not true. David, a man after God's own heart, a man of whom it was said he would do God's will. David had a lot of success in life. He was the king over the United Kingdom. I would imagine he was considered the greatest king in the history of the Israelite nation. When you begin to read throughout the book of Psalms, what do you read? The ebb and flow of his life. And there were difficult times that he faced. Matter of fact, there were times when he was on the mountaintop, but there were many, many times in his life when he was deep, deep in the valley. So David's a great example. The Bible says that Jeremiah the prophet was imprisoned. Ezekiel the prophet lost his wife in the New Testament. The Bible says that James, the brother of John, was put to death with the sword. Paul, oh, you remember Paul, don't you? Had that thorn in the flesh? Cried out to God to remove that thorn in the flesh? Matter of fact, he prayed three times that God would remove it. And what was it God said to him? My grace is sufficient for you. And then Jesus. The Bible says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. When Jesus is found in Gethsemane, praying about the impending cross that lay before Him, do you remember the Bible says in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus being in agony prayed more earnestly? The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7, I believe this is a commentary on the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. Then, of course, Peter would say that Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile to seat found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered... Threaten not. Jesus, the very Son of God, suffered. Why should I think it a strange thing that in this world I have to suffer? Or that suffering is a part of life? Over the past couple of years, if you'll just allow me a personal indulgence, over the course of the last two years, my father-in-law and mother-in-law both diagnosed with cancer. Nancy diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. My dad diagnosed with dementia. 
my mother, battling late-stage Parkinson's disease. And she is, a, she is at a point in her life now when everything she does is an effort. And I mean to just talk is an effort on her part. And she's tired. And this disease is winning. And so who am I to complain about human suffering? We all live in a world that's filled with suffering. You know, there are children in this world that are suffering immensely. What do they do to deserve that? Can you tell me? Other than they happen to live in a world that is full of suffering. So why is it people suffer? Well, one reason we suffer is because of choices that we make. Sometimes we make choices that ultimately come back to haunt us. Adam and Eve, great example. They made a terrible choice in life. And sadly, their choice impacted the lives of a lot of other people. Which says to us that sometimes people suffer not just because of their choices, but because of the choices or decisions of others. Now we're not born sinners in this world. Ezekiel said that the son shall not bear the iniquity of his father, nor the father the iniquity of the son. But we are born into a world of suffering. Sin identified as the transgression of the law. But there have been any number of people that have suffered immensely because other people made terrible choices in life. When I was a freshman in school, freshman in college, there was a young fella, well at that time we were all young, but there was a fella, 18 years old, we were freshmen. And he was in my Bible class. Over the Christmas holidays, he was killed by a drunken driver. What did he do to deserve death? Nothing just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, does that ease and comfort me when I think about that? No. But it's a part of life, isn't it? Don't you know people today that are suffering because of the choices, decisions of other people? Sometimes we suffer because of disease, illness, there are young children that are suffering, dealing with cancer. They did nothing to contribute to that disease. They didn't smoke, they didn't drink, they didn't do anything. But it's just a part of life. Disease and illness is just a part of the world that we live in. What about accidents? I mentioned a moment ago this fellow in my class that was killed by a drunken driver. Is it not the case that there are people today that have accidents? I know of a brother in Christ that climbed a ladder, fell off the ladder, hit his head, and passed away. Just a freak accident. Well, those things happen, don't they? 
And then, you remember the flood? Why did God destroy the world by means of a flood? Because of sin. God cleansed the world of sinners, but not of sin. When the flood occurred, that changed the conditions of the world that we live in. And so now there are people who suffer because of tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes. The universe that we live in will sometimes unleash fury upon those of us who are members of the human family. I remember years ago a tornado came through Franklin, Tennessee when we were living in Franklin. There was an older gentleman that sadly was killed during the tornado. He was in his bedroom in his bed when the tornado came through. And just behind his bedroom was a birdhouse. Not touched at all. Can I explain that? No. Just a part of life. So here is a third thing I want to share with you. What about some principles that relate to human suffering? Now, I want to direct your attention to James chapter 1, verse 2. You remember James said, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I've said this before, but I want to just reemphasize it. I do not believe that James is saying when we are in the middle of a storm in this life, that is when our lives are turned upside down, because of pain and suffering or because of some difficulty. I don't think James is saying that we relish every minute of that. But I do believe what James is saying is that when we come out on the other side, when that storm has passed and we are able to just step back from the situation, it affords us the opportunity to ask the question, okay, what have I learned from all of this? Have I learned from all of this? I had a professor that used to say in the long ago, there are three kinds of people in the world. There are people who are suffering. There are people who are about to suffer. And there are people that are coming out of some type of human suffering. That's just a fact, isn't it? So the question is, will we learn from the difficulties that we face in life? What can we learn? Maybe I ought to phrase it like this. What have you learned from times in your life when you suffered, when you were hurting, when tears were strolling down your face? What are some things that you've come to understand and appreciate? You remember James said that, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience or perseverance. The trials of life, yes, they could shake our faith. I have no doubt Job was shaken. For some, they break their faith. Others, what James is saying, they can make your faith. They can help you to become a more mature, complete child of God. In Romans chapter 5, Paul said, tribulation leads to patience or perseverance. Perseverance to character, to character hope. What he's saying is that there are tough times in life. Those tough times can help to build rock-solid character. So to have a persevering spirit. 
In James chapter 5 at verse 11, remember what James said? You've heard of the patience of Job, seeing the, the end intended by the Lord. Did Job learn some things about himself without question? Did he learn some things about the God that he served? For sure. One of the things that Job demonstrated, patience, perseverance, but also great trust in God. When we're barely hanging on and just trying to make it day by day, and every single day is an adventure to say the least, and we're doing our best to hold our own, don't we learn to trust God? Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Psalm 56, David talks about those who are making life difficult for him. And David in that context affirmed his tremendous trust in Almighty God. David said, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust you. He had the presence of mind to say, this I know, God is for me. But there's a God in heaven whose presence never leaves. No wonder the Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is always by His people. Storms of life, yes. Good times, yes. So we learn to trust and to trust deeply in God. I think that was really the message of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 regarding Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul, I want you to learn to depend upon me. Here's what Solomon said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. Is it not the case that when we face trial and trouble and sorrow in this world, that it often reminds us this body was not meant to be here forever? That this world is not our home. In reality, suffering brings clarity to life. It helps to crystallize what's really important in life, doesn't it? You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Corinth? Talked about how the outward man was perishing, but the inward man was being renewed day by day. And Paul talked about that light affliction, which was but for a moment. At some point in time, the sufferings of this life will be over. But until we come to the end of the road here on planet Earth, we've got to hold on to God, don't we? We've got to understand that there is a better place that awaits us. Imagine living in a place free from death. To never again stand at the side of an open grave and say goodbye to somebody that we love. To never again have to shed a tear because of adversity or trial or sickness, sorrow in life. To never again face some type of debilitating disease or illness. To never again watch those that we love, that we love suffer and anguish. The song that we sing, This World is Not My Home, is so true. The Hebrew writer talked about how we are but strangers or pilgrims in this world. And Paul reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior.
there are a lot of things that we learn about ourselves when we suffer. There are a lot of things that we learn about God when we suffer. There are a lot of things that we learn about other people when we suffer. One of the things that stands out in my mind is what a blessing it is to be a Christian. To be a member of the body of Christ. To be a part of a body that stands side by side, shoulder to shoulder. As Paul said, oh, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we weep with those who weep. To know that we have people in the body of Christ who will stand right beside us as we battle the difficulties of this life. And to know that one day, the victory will be ours. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and care for us. And Father, we thank you that even though we live in a world plagued by pain and suffering, that you care for us, that you want the very best for us, that when we suffer, that you are with us every step of the way. We ask, Father, that you would bless all those who are hurting and suffering. Especially we pray for the Houston family, the Creole family and others who've lost loved ones. And Father, we pray that we would live in such a way so that one day we might all be together in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Life's tough, but it's even tougher when you're not a Christian. Can't imagine trying to go through life and navigate the turbulent seas of this life without the Lord. We, as Peter said, we commit our souls to Him who is a faithful Creator. And one day we're going to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to repent of your sins, confess His name, to be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, and then be faithful until death. Now, it might be that you're here today and you're suffering and you're hurting. and You've been asking the question time and again, why? And you don't understand. We would be happy to pray with you and for you. The elders here would be happy to pray with you. So I would encourage you to come. We stand and sing.